Let's take our Bibles and go to 2 Timothy chapter number 2. 2 Timothy chapter number 2. We're continuing on our study that we started last week. And uh, I had hoped to make it a two-parter, but uh, this morning as I was studying and preparing, uh, things just continued to open up. I started realizing that um, I've got to do a quality job of laying a biblical foundation so that, uh, so that you can see these things that we're taking a look at here this morning, because this study is so vital in our understanding of the Scripture. And uh, if we don't understand the Scripture, then we're going to avoid the Scripture. It just uh, You're not going to be excited about reading the Bible if most of the things that you read are just going over your head or don't make sense, and you don't know whether they apply to you or to uh, someone else. And uh, I appreciate, I don't know who put the uh, diet green tea in my pulpit, but I reached in there for some water, and uh, I guess this is, uh, the, the people who know me know that this is, uh, this is, I guess, my beverage of choice other than water. And so, uh, anyhow, I don't know if that was a joke or if that was just a blessing, but anyhow, thank you for whoever is responsible for that. Hopefully, I'll be able to preach okay while I drink this, anyhow. It does have, uh, does have uh, a good quality, quantity of rat poison in it, so <laughs> anyhow, for to me to live is Christ to... <laughs> You know, they, they keep saying that this stuff causes cancer in laboratory rats, and I just find comfort in the fact that I'm not a laboratory rat. <laughs> Notice I use the word laboratory there, because <laughs> I've, uh, I've been called a rat before and probably been guilty of being a rat before. Let's read our text and get into our study here this morning. Second Timothy chapter 2, and look with me at verse number 15, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman. As I said last week, studying the Bible requires being a workman. We don't dumb down the Bible to make it easier to understand. We don't water it down, and we don't make it accommodating to uh, modern culture. We study it to be workmen. Studying and learning the Bible takes some diligence. You've got to get in there, and you've got to make application, you've got to be diligent, a workman. And notice that the Bible says that needeth not to be ashamed. I don't like being ashamed, do you? I don't think anyone likes being ashamed. And you know, I see in Christianity, at least my entire life I've observed this, that when you read through the Bible, there are some passages of Scripture that uh, that contains some promises. You know, some of the things that Jesus said to his disciples. I'll give you an example. Remember in uh, John, I think it's John 15, where Jesus is talking about, he says, I am, the, I am the vine, you're the branches, every branch that abides in me produces fruit and so forth. Later on in that chapter, he said that if you ask anything in my name, you're going to receive the things that you're going to get what you ask for. Now, I have claimed that promise before and didn't get my prayers answered. Now, when that happens, when we claim a promise of God and it doesn't come to fruition, we have to reconcile that. we got to figure out what exactly went wrong. Was Did I not have enough faith or 
Did God not keep his end of the bargain? But frequently, not in every case, but in many cases, that the problem lies in that we are claiming a promise that God didn't make to us specifically in this time period. And that's why it is imperative that we learn how to rightly divide the word of truth so that we don't become ashamed. It is shameful when we tell everybody, it's like, hey, I'm claiming this promise. And then we have to try to excuse God for not coming through when we're ashamed. But the problem wasn't with God. The problem was with us. Now, God is merciful. And, you know, sometimes God will... Some, I, I've known people that have claimed uh, promises from the Scripture, and God has honored that because of their lack of understanding. I know there's some Old Testament passages that truly apply to Israel. And I've known Christians that have, you know, that passage of Scripture has spoke to their heart, and they've claimed it, and I've seen God honor that. But that doesn't mean that God is obligated to honor any promise that he made to someone else that he didn't make to you and I. So we've got to remember that and we've got to understand that. So back to our text, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We're going to pray here in just a moment, but I want to remind you of something that I said last week as to why this study is so important. I I was taught how to rightly divide the word of truth uh, just shortly after I got right with the Lord. I spent three and a half years in Bible Institute. I started going to Bible Institute before I ever even had a clue that God would put me into ministry. My desire to go to Bible Institute was not occupational training. It was just simply, I'm a young man. I've made a mess of my life. I've been in church. I've been hearing the Bible. I know a few things, but for the most part, I haven't been paying attention. It hasn't been anything that I really cared that much about. And when I got right with the Lord, I realized that I've got to learn the Bible for myself if I have any hope of staying right with God. Not much I did know. And this verse over here, as I've shared before, this was so uh, much a part of my heart when I first got right with the Lord. So I, I asked my, my pastor, Brother Runyon, I said, would it be okay if I went to Bible Institute? I didn't know that he'd want me to go to his Bible Institute. And he was like, yeah, sure, brother. He was excited. It was encouraging to him. And I was thinking I was going to get shot down. Why would he want me to attend his Bible Institute? He didn't ask a bunch of questions. I just knew, hey, I need to learn the Bible. And that's what I started doing, two nights a week for about, I don't know, three or four hours a night, intense Bible study, and God, through that intense Bible study, started opening up the Scripture, and I started understanding, and boy, all of that just snowballed into a greater desire and hunger to read and study and learn the Bible. And that's what I hope, that if you will see some of these things that are involved with rightly dividing the word of truth, my hope and prayer is that all of us would be excited about learning and applying the Bible for ourselves, because that is what the Christian life is all about. Let's pray and ask the Lord's blessings. Father, it's good to be in your house today. We thank you for these that have come. 
We ask a special blessing upon each and every one. We ask a blessing upon those that are watching live stream, those that perhaps will watch later. We pray, God, that the study today would be a help, that it would draw all of us closer to you and, Lord, closer to our Bibles. And I pray, Father, that you'd give us wisdom and grace. Help me to communicate clearly and concisely, to make good use of our time, to stay on track, and, Father, to say the things that would edify and help your people. Lord, I pray that if anyone listening does not know Christ as their Savior, Father, understanding the Bible is going to be secondary, Lord. The number one thing that that soul that is not saved needs to understand is that they're a sinner and that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins and that by putting our faith and trust in Christ and the cross, we can be saved and have a home in heaven. I pray, Father, that in all of this doctrinal study, that that number one central theme, Lord, would just be interwoven throughout this study. Lord, we pray that you would get glory and honor. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Just some quick review, and then we'll get uh, into furthering our study from last week. First of all, we talked about what rightly dividing means. It comes from the Greek word uh, orthotomeo, which is a compound of orthos, which means upright, and tomateros, which means to make a straight cut in a single slice. As I said last week, I'm not a big Greeker and run into Greek words, and in many cases, Greek word definitions are, are certainly not necessary. But every now and then, when there's a compound word, uh, Understanding what that Greek word was sometimes will help us understand what is meant by, say, the term rightly dividing. Uh, We know what dividing is, but a lot of times people perceive rightly dividing the word of truth as if we take the Bible and we start to chop it up and say, well, this is for you, this is for you, this is for you. Well, that is not rightly dividing. That's certainly, you know, that's taking a cleaver and it's chopping it up. But God doesn't say, chop up my word. He says to rightly divide it. And that is that goes way beyond in rightly interpreting the Bible. Interpretation means that the interpreter has special privilege. Rightly dividing means that you and I can understand the Bible for ourselves if we just simply read it, study it, and believe it, and figure out what categories that certain passages of Scripture, when this Scripture over here contradicts this Scripture over here, we've got to figure out that that's not a contradiction. It just means that there's something different about this passage than there is this one, and we have to divide the difference between the two. And so how do we rightly divide the word of truth? We talked last week on how that we divide according to application. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. And so all four of these things, as we've seen here on the slide, all of these are things that make the entire Bible applicable to you and I. Once again, we're not chopping it up. We are rightly dividing it. There are passages of Scripture 
that have a spiritual application to me that do not have a doctrinal application to me. You go into the book of Revelation, and boy, Revelation has some strange things in it. Wouldn't you agree? And if you don't know how to rightly divide the word of truth, the book of Revelation will have you will have your head spinning doctrinally, and you'll be trying to figure out, is that for me? Do I need to apply that? You go even to the book of Matthew, and you're going to find things that the Lord Jesus Christ said. And we won't be able to figure out, wait, wait a minute, that doesn't sound like what, what I learned in Sunday school. What do we do? We learn how to divide according to application. All the Bible was written for us, but not all of the Bible was written to us. So distinguishing or dividing the difference between a doctrinal application and a spiritual or uh, an instructional application, that is probably, in my opinion, the most vital thing that we can do in understanding the Scripture. Uh, secondly, we saw that we need to divide the word of truth according to the type of language. There's different types of language that the Bible is written in. There is figurative language. There is symbolic language. And in all of those cases, we need to remember that the context will always bear witness to the meaning. And then, of course, uh, we also saw that there is literal language, and that is the most, that, that's most of the Bible. What it means is, or excuse me, what it says is what it means. Now, that doesn't mean that something that is written in figurative language does not have a literal meaning. It does. But the context will bear witness. Jesus spoke in parables, the book of Revelation, certain things that John would see that were figurative. Um, the Bible will, uh, will interpret itself. It will give us the context so that we can understand what that figurative language means. Now, some affirm that since some of the Bible is symbolic or figurative, then we can't know the meaning for certain. Some think it's all symbolic or figurative. And that is a great, great error. And so that's why it's important that we learn how to rightly divide the word of truth when it comes to areas of types of language that God uses to communicate his truth. That brings us to our next point where we left off last week. Number three, we need to divide according to dispensations. Dispensations. What do we mean by dispensation? Well, the root word of that is the word dispense. We know what dispense is. You go to pump gas at a gas station and that gas pump dispenses gas from the tank under the ground to the tank in your car, right? That is a dispensing of that gas. So dispensation is a particular way in which God is dealing with a particular people during a particular time period. So there are different time periods throughout the Bible. We go from Genesis 1-1 to the end of the book of Revelation, and we find that there are divisions of time periods. Now, let me say this, and uh, I know that uh, sometimes people get really, really caught up with uh, titles, with... Um, with labels, if you will. Uh, I believe in a 
dispensational application of the Bible. But the truth of the matter is, every Bible believer does. Every Bible believer is dispensational. And yet many would, would certainly take offense at that. Oh, I'm not a dispensationalist. Well, if you believe the Bible at all, we're all dispensationalists, just some people divide it differently than others. I mean, our entire book right here, we have an Old Testament and we have a New Testament. You know what you have there? You have a division. The Old Testament is different from the New Testament. Now, if you go back time periods, you find that there was a time period before the Ten Commandments. So certainly there was something different. When God gave the law to the nation of Israel through Moses, he gave them all kinds of laws and specifics about sacrifices and offerings. Now, that doesn't mean that sacrifices didn't take place before. I read about Jacob offered a sacrifice before the Lord. Uh, We read about Abraham making sacrifices to the Lord. And so sacrifices weren't a new thing, but certainly something changed from the Garden of Eden to when Moses received the law up on Mount Sinai. What do you have there? You have a division. You have a different dispensation. So even though someone may not like the label of being a dispensational, every Bible believer is dispensational, just to one degree or another. Now, I want to say this, that sometimes the if we focus on the label of something as opposed to the description of something, then we'll end up shying away from something that we shouldn't shy away from. Let me explain what I mean by that. I mentioned as a young preacher, as a young, actually I should say a young Bible Institute student, I began to learn how to rightly divide the word of truth. And you know that when uh, just probably within the first two years, probably two years of studying the Bible, that I was around some preachers that were... They were certainly very zealous about dispensationalism. In fact, they were so zealous of dispensationalism that you would think that that was the only thing to preach and teach is dispensationalism. And I found out that we label them hyper-dispensationalists. It means they're taking something that was intended to be good and... All they're doing is focusing on that to the point that it's really practical heresy. Now, dispensationalism is a key to the Scripture. In fact, I'd probably say it's the key to understanding the Scripture. But you know what? If you have a key and you're just always waving, look, I've got the key. Look at my key. Look at my key. What what good does that key do if you never use it to open the door that it's intended to be used for? And so I have been around dispensational people that were, I'm going to be, um, I'll be transparent with you, they were arrogant. And they had, they had all of this information in their head, and that knowledge puffed them up to the point to where they were chopping up the Bible, and they thought that if the Apostle Paul didn't say, I know some of these dispensationalists, 
that discredited 1 John 1 9. If you're not familiar with 1 John 1 9, it says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And they said, oh, that's not for us. Paul didn't say that, so it's not for the church. We don't need to confess our sins. They're already taken care of at the cross. You know what you have there? You have a hyper-dispensational point of view. They're chopping up the Bible, and, um, and, and I've seen a lot of that. And, you know, the devil will always take somebody who has the right mentality and, uh, and they'll have the wrong behavior and he will always use that to discredit the right mentality. Hey, listen, I believe this King James version of the Bible. I believe that it is pure and true. And yet, in my ministry, I've known some King James Version Bible believers that were just a bunch of jerks. Best way I know to say it. Well, let me tell you something. The King James Version didn't make a person a jerk. They were just a jerk to start with, probably. So I'm not going to use the Bible as an excuse to be a jerk. <laughs> And, and, and I'm not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater, amen? You know, sometimes we, that's why it's so dangerous to start labeling everyone. What circle are you with? What's your camp? What's your alma mater? What Bible college did you go to? You know how many mistakes I've made in the ministry? Assuming that because one person believed or taught one thing and then somebody else had affiliation with them that they must believe the same way? You know how many mistakes that I have made by just making assumptions like that. we got to be really, really careful and really cautious. And you know, the best way to find out what somebody's all about is talk to them. No, 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 preacher. We do internet searches. Don't do that. That's dumb. Internet searches. People out there don't even know what they're talking about. I, I can't tell you how many... Good men of God have been slandered on the internet by some idiot that wrote something about them that they didn't even know what they were talking about. You know, there, there are great preachers and teachers of this King James Version of the Bible that have been accused of saying that you can't get saved out of any Bible but the King James. And they never, they, they never said that, never even thought that. But they were so passionate about this version of the Bible that people just assumed that. And then somebody said it, and then they believed it and didn't check it out. So you follow what I'm saying? We've got to be wise, and we've got to make sure that it's not about labels. So having said all that, we need to learn how to rightly divide the word of truth according to the dispensations. Let me show you a couple of examples where the term dispensation shows up in the Bible. In Ephesians chapter number 1 and verse number 9, Paul says, Having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he may gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him." Listen, there is a time period out in the future that Paul referred to as the dispensation of the fullness of times. 
And you know what that is? He explains what that is. That's where everybody that's in Christ, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew, a Gentile, it doesn't matter if you were saved uh, during the, the ministry of the apostles or if you were saved in Temple Baptist Church over a 2,000-year time period. Anyone that's in Christ, Paul says that we're all going to be gathered together around Christ. And he says further that, at the, that every knee is going to bow I mean, at the name of Jesus Christ, everyone's going to bow. I'm looking forward to that day, aren't you? I mean, no one's, he, God's not going to have to force me to bow to Jesus, but some people He is. So if you have bowed your heart and your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, you have made Him your Lord and King, you're going to be looking forward to that day when everyone is going to be bowing the knee in humility and reverence and worship to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you think about how Jesus was treated when he came here the first time and how unjust he was treated, he was perfect, he was sinless, he was good, he healed, he helped, he taught. I mean, there was no sin in him. He did nothing wrong and they brutally hung him on a cross, and tortured him in ways that we can't even imagine. When you think of Jesus in that perspective, you think what a joy it's going to be for all of creation when every knee is bowing to Jesus Christ. I'm looking forward to when Jesus is treated the way that he's worthy of being treated. The next place that we find the term dispensation is in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse number 1. For this cause, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, that's a very key phrase, Paul was not only a prisoner for the Gentiles, but Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. We'll see that here in just a little while. He says, according, excuse me, uh, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given me to you, word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, what that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Now, ultimately, in this study on rightly dividing the word of truth, we're going to be seeing some things in dividing the difference between the church and Israel. And that's ultimately where I want to get to with this study. But I don't want to rush into that study without properly laying the foundation of rightly dividing the word of truth for fear that perhaps maybe it won't, it won't all be crystal clear when we see it. And so Paul says that in the dispensation of the grace of God, you know that Paul learned some things directly from God rather than learning them from the apostles that were alive during the ministry of Jesus Christ. Now, I I don't want to get ahead of myself, but you will notice as you read the book of Acts, I'll give you an example. In Acts 2.38, 
the, the, the Jews have listened to Peter's sermon. And Peter's sermon basically went like this. You murdered your Messiah. You killed the Prince of Life. And God raised him from the dead. And so when they heard that message, as Peter is telling them, you crucified the Son of God, they said to Peter and the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And how did Peter respond? He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, there's a couple things that are definitely different from Acts 2.38 and Acts 16.31. They said, men and brethren, what shall we do? They, they recognized the fact that we crucified Christ. What were they repenting of? They were repenting of crucifying Christ. And they literally were, they were literally part of it. They were the ones that were out there saying, crucify him, crucify him. So this was a national message to the, the children of Israel. And I'm not saying that there wasn't in that message the truth of Christ died on the cross and was resurrected. That was certainly a central theme of Peter's message. But in Acts 16.31, the Philippian jailer has been listening to Paul and Silas as they've been chained in the dungeon after being beaten brutally. And what are they doing? They're not in there whining and complaining and licking their wounds. They are in that dungeon singing praises to God. And that Philippian jailer, who probably knew nothing about God, the God of this Bible, he's listening to them singing praises to him, and the Holy Spirit starts doing a work in this man's heart. And an earthquake shows up, and this Philippian jailer thinks that the prisoners have escaped, but instead they, they're still there. And so he jumps into their jail cell and says, what must I do to be saved? Now, that's a different question than what the Jews said in Acts chapter number 2. They said, men and brethren, what shall we do? He said, what shall I do to be saved? And you know what Paul said? He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. You know what? You have, you have a slightly different response, you have a slightly different question. Why? Because that Philippian jailer was a Gentile, and a Gentile getting saved would have been considered preposterous in Acts chapter number 2. That would have been crazy. It wasn't until Acts chapter number 10, later on in Peter's ministry, that the very first Gentile became converted to Jesus Christ. Because before that, they thought, we're not even supposed to go and talk to the Gentiles. See, where'd they get that from? From Jesus. Jesus told them point blank, don't go to the Gentiles. Go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Hey, listen, ladies and gentlemen, what do we have going on here? We have a division. We have the necessity of rightly dividing the word of truth, or our doctrinal understanding is going to be extremely confusing. We're going to be applying scriptures out of context. 
We're going to be thinking that the entire New Testament was written to me, and we're going to start making things that about us that have absolutely nothing to do with us. It is imperative that we rightly divide the word of truth. Now, let me get into these divisions or dispensations, if you will, that we find from Genesis to Revelation. The first, um, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you seven different dispensations, two different ways. Now, I have, um, the thing about rightly dividing the word of truth is that as we study as workmen and we learn these things in the scripture, we find out that, I'll give you an example. Uh, If you go to the book of Psalms, you'll notice that the book of Psalms is divided up into three different sections. When I get in my Bible, I find a line drawn that says, end of, end of book number one. And then there's another book of the Psalms. You've got a dividing line, and I can see it in my Bible. In, in, in the modern printed Bible, what do we have? We have chapters and we have verses that produce divisions, right? But what we need to understand is that from when God created Adam and put him in the Garden of Eden until the new Jerusalem comes down upon earth in Revelation chapter 21, you've got a lot of different divisions that take place, but you don't find any lines drawn in the Bible that just make it like a chart. That's why there's, there's always going to be one person that maybe sees it a little bit differently than another person. I've got, I've got maybe 10 or 12 books in my library that are on dispensationalism. Some of them go too extreme with it, and, um, and then others are definitely more moderate in their dispensational approach. I've heard people say, you know what, I believe there are eight dispensations in the Bible. And then others like, no, there's just seven. I've heard people say, no, I only see six. And you know, there is certainly, let me say this, some of those come down to just semantics, word word definitions, what one person understands as he reads it, the way that he sees it. You know, you and I can look at the same thing, and we don't always see it exactly the same way, right? My diet drink right here. What do you see here? You see a bottle with liquid in it, right? But you're seeing, you're seeing the label that has the ingredients and the nutritional value. Oh, wow, there is no nutritional value in this. Okay. Interesting. But I'm seeing the label. I'm seeing something. We're looking at the same thing, but I'm seeing that, and you're seeing that. So some of it comes down to just perspective. I'll tell you something else. Uh, I see some things a little differently in the Scripture than I did 20 years ago. There were some things, dispensationally speaking, that I hadn't figured out how this dispensation or this piece of the puzzle fits in with this piece of the puzzle. And so there is certainly area, there is certainly room for growth. In the book of Acts, you have progressive revelation. Peter wasn't preaching a wrong message in Acts chapter number 2, 
But Peter didn't understand everything that was going on until Acts chapter 11. And if you don't believe me, read Acts 2 and then read Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 11 and see the journey that the apostle Peter went on as God tried to open up his understanding that the gent- it's okay for the Gentiles to be saved. They're going to be part of the same body as you and, um, and everyone else in Acts chapter number 2 got to be part of. So the first, the first run through dispensations is we're going to take a look at dispensations by doctrine. So first of all, the first dispensation that we find in the Bible is the dispensation of innocence. And that is from Genesis 1-1 to Genesis 3-24. This time period, we find ourselves in the Garden of Eden, and the message or the test that God gives to the human race is really quite simple. He says, of every tree of the garden, thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou mayest not, thou mayest not eat thereof. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. That is not ten commandments. That's one commandment, right? Very simple. Some people have said, well, the Bible, if there wasn't so many do's and don'ts in the Bible, then I'd worship and serve God. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. It didn't work for Adam and Eve. The devil got in there and tempted Eve, and then Eve offered of that fruit to Adam, and he just caved in, and the whole human race turned into a sinful people. Instantly, as soon as they partook of that fruit, God gave the test. He gave the commandment. He gave them a perfect environment. They lacked nothing. They had no excuse but they still disobeyed God. That is a dispensation. If you don't believe in the seven dispensations, certainly I think every Bible believer would say that doctrinally speaking, that time period of innocence is not applicable to us. If you believe that the entire Bible is doctrinally to you, then you need to be watching out for fruit on trees because there, there's one out there that you better not eat of. Well, how do I know which one it is? Well, if you believe that's doctrinally to you, then you better, you better be really, really careful. Amen? But obviously, that is a different dispensation. The second doctrinal dispensation, number two, would be the time period that we call the dispensation of conscience. From Genesis 4-1 all the way up to Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter number 19, man is basically living according to his conscience. There is no Bible. There is no law. There is no Ten Commandments. Whatever they are learning about God and finding out what God expects... It's either coming from word of mouth. And keep in mind that the lifespan during this time period, and and much of it up to the flood, was in excess of 900 years. There's a lot of things that go on in 900 years. And so you had, you basically, you had Adam did not die until Noah's grandfather. Noah's grandfather knew Adam, or at least could have known Adam because of the time period. So obviously, 
There was word of mouth. People were telling each other what God expected because there was morality. There was an understanding of what God expected, but there wasn't anything written. That is a certainly a different division or a different dispensation. That brings us to number three, the dispensation of the law. As far as our Bible is concerned, that would go from Exodus chapter 20, verse number 1, all the way up to the end of the book of Malachi. And so that would be the time period of the law. And the way that God was judging man was based on how he, um, how he kept and obeyed the law. Now, there is a difference between Old Testament salvation and New Testament salvation. I don't have time to teach that this morning. We'll talk about that either next week or uh, certainly in the weeks to come. But obviously, there is a huge difference. That brings us to the fourth dispensation that uh, by doctrine, I call it the dispensation of transition. And that goes from Matthew 1.1, that's the beginning of the New Testament, all the way to the end of the book of Acts. Now, you can... You can divide that a little bit differently. You could go from, say, the book of John to Acts chapter number 7. When I tell you this range of verses, I'm talking in very general, broad terms. This is a transitional period when Jesus, the beginning of the Gospels in the book of Matthew, Jesus began to clarify the meaning of a lot of the Old Testament laws. They, the Jewish people, had kind of taken God's law and figured out their loopholes, figured out how to make the, the law work for their personal private religion. And Jesus showed up and just completely blew out of the water some of their doctrines and traditions by explaining to them that, hey, this is what the law This is what God was really saying. He did that with the issue of divorce. He did that with the issue of tithing. He did that with the issue of so many different things. He was able to interpret the law because he was the lawgiver. God manifest in the flesh. That's an important thing to remember. Now, in this transition period, we're going from the time period of the law to the time period of the kingdom to the time period that we are in today, which is the church. Now, hopefully next week we'll say a little bit more about it, but I want to remind you, those of you that are familiar with your Bibles, you will recognize the difference between what Jesus was teaching in the Gospels and what the Apostle Paul is teaching to the church age today. You'll find all kinds of things that don't completely, don't completely jive. And they don't necessarily contradict one another. They appear to. But if you rightly divide and understand that the gospel of the kingdom is different than the gospel of the grace of God, then you'll find no problem in understanding your Bible. The gospel of the kingdom was the good news that Jesus Christ is going to set up an earthly kingdom right here on this earth. Now, that got suspended when the Jews rejected their Messiah. They rejected their king. That got suspended. 
Uh, if you'll recall, John 1.11, the Bible says, He came to His own, but His own received Him not. But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. And so there was a suspension of God offering that kingdom to Israel when they rejected it. And because of that, God said, I'm going to go to the Gentiles and I'm going to call them out and I'm going to call them into my body, my church. And uh, listen, the blood of Jesus Christ has not been wasted. Just because the Jews rejected him God says, I'm going to find somebody that will receive me. Now, that's a, that's a blessing to you and I because we were so, we were on the outside looking in. We were strangers. We were, we were aliens. You know, that's, that's what God calls the Gentiles. He calls us aliens. I'm looking around seeing if anybody's got three eyes. Not that kind of alien. He's talking about people that are, that, that are not part of Israel. And during, here, here's what's interesting. During the dispensation of the law, you had to become a Jew in order to be saved. Salvation, Jesus said, is of the Jews. That's red letters right there. And so certainly some things have changed, and Matthew 1.1 through the end of the book of Acts shows a lot of that transition, how that God takes us from the law to the kingdom, and then when the kingdom is rejected, he transitions right into the Gentile church age that we're part of today. If you don't understand that, you're going to be misapplying Verses in Matthew, verses in the book of Acts, and doctrinally speaking, you're going to be really, really confused. Now, the fifth dispensation, doctrinally speaking, would be the dispensation of the church. And um, specifically speaking, the Bible from Romans 1.1 to the end of the book of Philemon, we would say, is specifically written to the Gentile church. These are the epistles of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul is the Gentile, excuse me, the, the Apostle to the Gentile. And so when you read that passage of Scripture, you and I can rest assured that everything that we are reading is doctrinally applicable to us. We don't have to necessarily divide the doctrine from the spiritual application. We can say, that is slam dunk. I can take it to the bank. That is doctrinally written to me. Now, while the Gentile church, notice here I've got in parentheses next to that, the book of Hebrews through the book of Jude. Every single one of us as Bible students would have to admit that when you get to the book of Hebrews, doctrinally speaking, it takes on a way different twist than what the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans through Philemon. Uh, how, many, how many people, I wonder, have read in the book of Hebrews and read stuff that really caused some doctrinal issues? I've read commentaries on the book of Hebrews. Most commentators either, either make it devotional, the ones who try to make it doctrinal at all, when they get to problem texts, we'll see them next week, by the way, so be patient with me. 
when you get to some problem text in the book of Hebrews that makes it look like you can lose your salvation and never get it back again, I have seen commentators take and do, I mean, you talk about a Texas two-step and dance around that and uh, make all kinds of hypothetical or run to the Greek language, and when you look at that, you just go, come on, are you, you're, are you really serious? You think that we're that stupid? And, and what they're doing is they're trying to explain away, and we don't have to explain it away. We just simply have to rightly divide the word of truth and figure out if it doesn't look like it fits in with what I read over here, i got to figure out then where does it fit in. And so there is definitely a different twist or a different emphasis in those Jewish epistles as opposed to what Paul wrote in Romans through Philemon. Once again, the Gentile church and the Jew share the blessings of the New Testament, but we do not share the promises of the New Covenant. I'm going to say that again to make sure. That I don't have time to explain it this morning, but I want you to remember that I said it. The Gentile church and the Jew share the blessings of the New Testament. The New Testament began at the cross of Calvary. But the new covenant is a specific, and and listen, I know that most Bible commentaries teach you that the New Testament and the new covenant are the same thing. They are not. By, By word definition, a testament and a covenant are not the same thing. And so just because every author out there gets it wrong doesn't mean that you have to believe what they say and be confused when you read the book of Hebrews. So we share the blessings of the New Testament. And that's why there are so many blessings that we can claim in the book of Hebrews. Why? Because they are New Testament teachings. But in the context of the book of Hebrews, it will specifically say This is talking about a covenant, and the covenant is not with the church. The covenant is with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Specifically, that's the wording that is used. That is not my interpretation. That is exactly what the text says. God says the covenant is for the Jew, the descendants of Abraham, and he refers to them always without any... any, um, um, any exception, he refers to them as either the house of Jacob, the house of Israel, or the house of Judah. The sixth dispensation is the dispensation of the tribulation period. And um, that goes, uh, you, you read about some of that in the Gospels, in you know, Matthew 1 on, but specifically you get a lot of it in the book of Revelation. And um, so... Uh, That is a time period that is yet to come in which the Antichrist is going to show up. And the dispensation of the tribulation period is not going to be... I mean, if you want to get saved in the tribulation period, do not take any mark in your forehead or in your hands. Don't do it. Now, I'm not worried about it because I believe... I'm pretty strong in what the Scripture says, that the church is going to be raptured out of here before all that happens. I think that's 
in my strong conviction, that's crystal clear. So I ain't planning on being around here when that happens. But if you find yourself around and somebody's trying to give you a mark, don't take it. Because if you do, you're, you're doomed forever. There is no saying, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. You're, you're doomed forever, and you will end up in the lake of fire with the Antichrist if you take his mark. And, and listen, let me tell you something. Just because in the English language that there's only one letter difference between mark and mask, this is not the mark of the beast. Come on. Good grief. I've seen so many things on the internet during COVID-19. It's like, I know that Bible believers, that we are, uh, we are definitely nonconformist, and I know that we definitely understand that there are conspiracies out there, but it's just a mask to protect your face. And if you don't think that that's biblical, then read about the leprosy in the book of Leviticus, and God says to the leper who might be contagious that he needs to put a covering over his upper lip. Whoa, how about that? Somebody said masks aren't biblical. God said to use them if you need to, right? Got a little chilly in here. Those of you, listen, I'm not saying you have to wear a mask. I'm just saying don't treat people that are wearing masks like they're taking the mark of the beast. That's just stupid. Anyhow, (laughs) really got chilly here. I just, anyhow, the seventh dispensation is the millennial dispensation. This is a thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ here on planet Earth. That's what, and, and by the way, let me say this, this book right here, from cover to cover, the church, us, we're just a little, we're a little blip on the radar, we're little parentheses, but the theme of this book right here is about Jesus Christ coming back as King of kings and Lord of lords and setting up a kingdom here on this earth. I mean, the the grand finale, everything that this book is leading up to is going to come to fruition in the last chapter, and that's that last thousand years when Jesus Christ is sitting on the throne of His glory. And that's going to be a great day for planet earth. I mean, I'm looking forward to that. I mean, uh, if you're a Trump supporter, uh, we're going to be way better off with Jesus on the throne. Amen? Way, way better off. I mean, the ecology is going to be blessed. The economy is going to be blessed. But I'll tell you what I'm looking forward to. Morality is going to be blessed. It's going to be a, he's going to be a righteous judge. And he's going to rule and reign with a rod of iron. You're not going to want to mess with him or cross him. Not if you're not righteous, but if you're righteous, you're going to be blessed. Isn't that what God's people really are looking for? Isn't that our frustration with the world that we live in? That unrighteousness seems to be favored and righteousness seems to be squelched? Well, it's not going to be that way forever. Now, um, what is I want to make sure that I cover this. Oh, yeah. Before, before I close here this morning, um, I'd, like to, um, I'd like you to see Mark chapter number 10. 
Mark chapter number 10. Did I put that on the... I don't think I put that on the slide, and I intentionally meant not to, but Mark chapter number 10... Now, notice once again on our dispensational list here that in number four, that we're calling that a dispensation of transition. And while while we have an Old Testament and we have a New Testament, our Bible is divided into different portions of Scripture. But we need to also understand that when Jesus was alive and he was uh, performing his earthly ministry, that Jesus was living during the time period of the Old Testament. All right? So the the Old Testament, time-wise, is not done away with with the birth of Jesus. Jesus lived 33 and a half years, and until he died on Calvary's cross, people, all of the narrative, all of the characters are still living during the time period of the Old Testament. And so it's, it's important that we understand that because there are some things that Jesus said that if we don't rightly divide that and understand it, we're going we're gonna to be thinking that we've got to be good boys and girls in order to get to heaven. And that's just not the case. People who get to heaven in this time period get to heaven by being saved. Not by being good. Now, you get saved, you're supposed, to, it's supposed to turn you into someone that's good. But you can't make yourself good just by trying to be good. No one can ever be good enough. But watch what Jesus said in Mark chapter 10 and verse number 17. And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Now watch this, it says, Then Jesus beholding him, loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. And he was sad at that saying, went away grieved, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked round about, saith unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God. Now, notice the test, the answer that Jesus gives to this young man. What do I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, what does the law say? Keep the commandments. Don't do these things. And then when the the man said, I've kept those from my youth up, it says Jesus loved him. This was a righteous man who was keeping the commandments. You know, when you get to John chapter number 3... If you'll recall, Jesus told Nicodemus, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you have there? You have a transition going on between the law and the New Testament 
after Jesus Christ dies on the cross. And so uh, there's a lot of things that uh, can cause us to question and to wonder, but when we rightly divide according to the doctrinal aspects of dispensations, it makes it, um, it makes it clear. And some of those apparent contradictions actually end up giving us a piece in the puzzle to make the rest of the picture much more clear. I'm going to go quickly through the, uh, the dispensations by administration. Uh, number one, uh, you have the uh, Edenic dispensation. That's when God was personally conversing with people. The antediluvian, that is before the flood. And, and I'll just go quickly. Most of these are self-explanatory. The post-diluvian, that's after the flood. You have the patriarchal dispensation, Abraham to Moses. The legal dispensation, that's Sinai to the cross. The ecclesiastical, that's the cross to the rapture. And the messianic, which is the tribulation to the millennial. In all of these dispensations... As far as the one that we live in, the church age, it is crystal clear in the Bible that the Apostle Paul is the key to understanding the doctrine of the church age. In Colossians chapter number 1 and verse number 25, Paul says, "...whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God which is given to me for you." to fulfill the word of God, even the mystery, watch this folks, even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You know what we have that the Old Testament saint did not have is when we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior, we get Jesus inside of us. That is our eternal security. Listen, they had to exercise faith, but they had to perform works. We are saved by grace through faith, plus nothing, minus nothing, and our salvation is dependent not on what we do, but on what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And when we receive Him... We get Christ in us. This is a mystery. I mean, the Jewish people who know the, the Scripture, who, uh, who serve God under the Old Testament dispensation, they look at the Gentile church and what we get, our gospel, uh, our doctrine, and they just scratch their head and they think that is preposterous. But Paul was given that mystery to reveal unto us. Paul said in Galatians 1 verse number 11, He said, but I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man, for I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul was not just a Johnny-come-lately apostle that Peter and all the other apostles said, hey, here's, here's what we're preaching. He didn't learn it from them. God took him aside and said, I'm going to reveal to you the mystery of of the Gentile church and the apostles that that served with Jesus Christ, they I think for the rest of their life they were still scratching their head and saying, uh, "This we we believe this," but they were very uncomfortable with it at least uh, early on in the dispensation of the church. Turn to Ephesians chapter number two. Thank you for your patience this morning. Ephesians chapter number two. 
I know that the subtitle for chapter 2 in my old Schofield Bible says, The Method of Gentile Salvation. And we don't have time to look at all of this, but from verse number 11 on, Paul talks about how that the Gentile and the church... See, there was a division between the Jews and the Gentiles. And Paul is making it clear that now in this dispensation that division between the two is gone. Everybody in this time period gets saved the same way. Not by the law, has nothing to do with the new covenant, it has to do with the New Testament, it has to do with Christ and the cross of Calvary and the shedding of His blood and His resurrection. In chapter 2, verse number 1, Paul says, "...and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins." Wherein, in time past, ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Here's where it gets good, folks. But God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I guarantee you, early on in the book of Acts, if Paul were to show up before God revealed to them what he was doing with the Apostle Paul, if they were to read what Paul just wrote, I'm telling you what, Peter and the rest of the apostles would have been going, (laughs) that's crazy. Why? Because they were still operating under the the commission of preaching the gospel of the kingdom to the Jews only. But praise the Lord, as Gentiles, we can be saved by the grace of God, not by our works, but by the grace of God and solely, nothing added, nothing subtracted, what Jesus Christ did on Calvary's cross and his resurrection. Next week, we'll be taking a look at number four of rightly dividing the word of truth and how that we need to learn how to divide according to classifications of people. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10.32, Give none offense neither to the Jews, nor the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. Now, I want you to notice that Paul When he said the church of God, I want you to notice that he's not talking about, he doesn't, the the church of God isn't a capital C in church. Why? Because it is not a title, it is a description. The word church means a congregation, an assembly, a group of people. And The church of God means that this is the church that belongs to God. It is of Him. 
modern Protestants and different religions make a, a big to-do about titles. Well, we're the church of God. We're the church of Christ. Well, we're this and we're that. And all of these are not titles, but they are descriptive terms of the one church. Listen, brothers and sisters, this local church is titled Temple Baptist Church. But that's just a title that man gave it. This is a local church. And you know what? You can become a member of this local church and not be a member of that church right there. Now, we try to do our best to make sure that the people that are members of this church are members of that church. But we can't see your heart and we can't know people. All we can do is just ask questions and ask people to share their testimony of salvation. But we can't know that. But I want to say this as we conclude, that how we divide the Bible will have serious ramifications on how we understand and apply the texts of the Bible. Every divisive issue that exists among believers today is the result of wrongly dividing the word of truth. Doctrine can divide, but it is not intended to be divisive. There is certainly room for disagreements when it comes to doctrine that requires connecting some dots. Always keep that which is clear in mind when studying something that is vague. The Bible is not a code to crack. It is gold to mine. The first division of this time period began at the cross. I don't care the seven seven dispensations. I don't care how you divide it up. Bottom line, the time period that we live in, it began at the cross, and the first division took place right on Calvary's hill. It was a division between two thieves. Jesus Christ in the middle, you had a thief on each side, And at one point, they are both railing on him and saying, if you're the Christ, then save us. Get us down off this cross. But as the hour went by, and Jesus is hanging there, and one of the thieves began to see that there's something special about this man. He's not reviling them. He's looking at the ones that are causing him such brutal pain, and he's saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And the one thief over here, something begins to work in his heart, and he realizes, wow, this is the Son of God. He didn't deserve this, but me and my buddy over there, we did. And he looks at Jesus, and he says, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Something happened in his heart. And he repented and he believed. He, hey, listen, he was never baptized. He never did any good deeds or anything. But in his heart, he believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, verily, verily, I say unto thee, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. There was a division on Calvary's hill between two thieves. One received, one believed, and the other rejected and reviled. And you know what? I don't care how good of a person that you are. You can be a good neighbor. You can be a good old boy or a good old gal and gives people the shirt off of your back. But the bottom line, if you have never repented of your sins and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then you are not part of his church. You might have been born a descendant of Abraham. You're a Jew. You might been outside of that. You can, I mean, you can be Italian, you can be African, you can be Irish, you can be, doesn't matter, Asian. None of that matters. 
You're a Gentile. Listen, I, I, I come from, I think, my descendancy, uh, my descendants. I don't know where my descendants came from. I don't have them yet. Uh, uh, my, uh, my ancestors, that sounds dumb. Yeah, whatever. They come from England and Scotland. That's the, the name Mitchell. And then my mother's maiden name, all kind of, we find our roots there in, in England and Scotland. But you know what? None of that matters. None of that matters because when I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior, the group that I became a part of is the church of God. And you know what? You can do the same thing. Acts chapter 2, verse number 47, it says, The Lord added to the church daily such as should be what? Saved. I like that term, saved. In Romans 10.9, it says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And then I close with Romans 10.13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There was a time in my life, I don't remember the date, but I remember, I remember what happened when I saw myself as a sinner and that I needed Jesus Christ to be my Savior. And I believed from my heart that He died on the cross, and I asked Him, I called upon Him to save me, and He did it. He kept His word. And that's why I can say that I'm saved today. And it is a joy to be in this dispensation of the grace of God, not having to deserve it, earn it, or work for it, but just simply to trust what our Savior did on Calvary's cross, that is our salvation. And it is a wonderful joy and a wonderful privilege. It's been hid from ages past, but it was revealed to us in this time period, and thank God for that. Father, thank you for the Word of God. Thank you for this dispensation where we can be saved by grace, that free gift that you offer us. I pray if anyone here that is uh, been in the, uh, the sound of this message, if anyone is not saved, I pray that they'd recognize their need and call upon you to save them before it's eternally too late. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.